0: Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas. I'm wearing, you can't really see it, but we, a couple years ago we made, we made some Christmas t-shirts and everything like that for Life Center. And so I've got my Christmas t-shirt on to start the season. It's about as Christmassy as I get. You're not going to see me with like, you know, reindeer antlers on or anything like that. This is, this is, I know, (laughs) aww. You all wanted photograph evidence of that, didn't you? You will know, take a picture of that. That'll be something special. But it's so good for us to be able to start our Christmas season together and to have it uh, nice and warm and glowing with battery-powered candles and everything like that. Um, which is just meant to keep you alive and not, like, you know, burning on the sides and, you know, wax dripping everywhere. But uh, Christmas is definitely a unique and special season uh, for all of us, or for a lot of us. It's a season where we seem to love stories more than any other time of year. And how do, why do I say that? Well, partly it's because we seem to have, like, movie marathons at Christmas time, don't we? How many here uh, have fallen prey to more than one Hallmark special Christmas movie? I see your hands. Yeah, that's right. See, you're you're, you're excited about those things. All these movies come along, and uh, all the Christmas ones, all the, the classic Christmas movies come out, and uh, new ones, and everything like that. But there's so many Christmas movies, and we just seem to— it's like Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner. We overindulge on them, don't we? We just— We start watching, and then it's just all Christmas season. Now, here's the thing with all these Christmas movies, it's not like the plot really changes. It's not, right? It's There's always somebody who doesn't have the Christmas spirit for whatever reason, and then somewhere along the line in the movie, they, they meet a guide of some sort, whether it's an older person or a little kid or an elf or something. They meet something that guides them along to understand the true meaning of Christmas and have them change how they think and feel about it and have a new outlook and a new a new idea of what Christmas could be and everything. Everything is happily ever after. That's basically every Christmas movie, isn't it? That's the plot of every Christmas movie. You name it, that's what it is. But we, we fall for them hook, line, and sinker because we love the story of it. We love the idea of, of that redemptive moment of understanding how things that were lost can be found again, how something that was broken can be made whole. We love hearing that story. And you see it play out. And catches us, like I said, it hits a nerve or rings true for most of humanity. Donald Miller, in writing about this whole idea of how we, we sink into story and characters and stuff like that, he says it like this. There's a character that has a problem and then meets a guide who gives them a plan or calls them to action. And that action either results in a comedy or a tragedy. And that seems to be the, the way these all move out. And so in looking at that in this season and, and, uh, by all admission, in our house, we've already watched um, too many Christmas movies. We started, I think it was actually before December, because we, we uh, just with logistics, we decided to get a lot of our Christmas decorations up before uh, the December Christmas season hit. And that's when the movies started, right? They start when you bring out the decorations, usually. You have the, the movie playing in the background or whatever. And so we've already watched uh, quite a number of Christmas movies, and some have way more to be desired than others in the, in the excellence and the quality of them. But for the next number of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Christmas story. And we want to invite you to look at three key plot lines and ideas that are present in all of our lives, and how the arrival of Jesus should change our relationship with them. And these three things that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks are this, fear thinking and acting. Fear, thinking and acting. And from the Christmas story that we see uh, in the New Testament, and really throughout all of scripture, but uh, really coming to life in the New Testament, the key verse that we're going to use to walk through this journey is this. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And that's found in Luke chapter verse 10. So the first one that we look at. Well, actually before that, let's pray. Let's dive into it when, after we pray. God, we just thank you that at Christmas we have so many stories that we like to uh, sit around and watch and, and uh, all these feel-good moments that um, help us reminisce and, and really dive into a season of celebration. Uh, And truly, though, God, you are the anchor and the root and the source of why we can celebrate at Christmas. The arrival of you, Jesus, here on earth, your incarnation, becoming human to show us and lead us uh, and guide us to uh, your precious gift of of relationship and life with you. And as we take time this season to celebrate uh, you again, uh, may it uh, affect us. And may our, our, how we just look at your word and how it applies to us over these next few weeks in this Christmas season, may it bring us to a deeper revelation, deeper understanding of the truth of who you are and how you change everything. And so we just thank you for that. And we pray uh, again for just clarity in this season uh, for who you truly are to us. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be looking at three things, fear, thinking, and acting in the next little while. And so the first one we're looking at today is fear and what fear does to us and how in this season, fear no longer serves us well. And the question maybe you can start it off with is this, what kind of role does fear play in your story? When you think of your beginning and working through your life, what has fear caused or led you to do or brought you through or brought you down into? What has fear, what role has it played in your story? Because if we stopped and thought about it, our actions, our thoughts, our the patterns of behavior that we formed, and we look at what caused that, we would be surprised maybe how much fear played a role in those things. Maybe if we, we look at it this way, do you, do you love to be loved by others and so you overcommit? Is your Christmas season so full this year because you have just overcommitted because you love to be loved by others and you couldn't say no to them? You, you you said yes to every invitation or yes to every ask and now you're overcommitted. Are you a people pleaser, crushed by criticism, living in fear of offending others. Fear, in so many different ways, can be a driver that is quite powerful in our lives. Our thoughts and actions can quickly become controlled by what we fear. And as we try to navigate away from or avoiding the things we fear, and what we think will come to reality, it leads us into places that we never intended to go. Fear is a visible and powerful driver in the original Christmas story, as Jesus was born. Because Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. Now under Caesar Augustus, Herod was given that title, King of the Jews. And he maintained that power in that in, in of the kingdom of Israel there by protecting Rome on that flank of the Mediterranean and being that, that, that state that kind of kept anybody at bay uh, through that area. And that's how he maintained order, was allegiance and being subjected to the authority of Rome. Now, fear was a major driver in Herod's life. It's what made him successful and powerful. He was clever, but he was also very cruel. You see, while Rome had established his throne and set him up as the king of the Jews, of Israel, the Jewish people never accepted his kingship. And because of that, he lived in this constant fear of rejection and being overthrown by somebody else within uh, The Jewish world. And driven by this fear, his life was just, was fraught with, with danger. And his life was full of terrible decisions and just uh, crushing, crushing decisions. Driven by fear, he executed his wife. Driven by fear, he executed his three sons still living in fear, his next wife, he also had killed, and his mother-in-law, never being able to trust, never being able to settle in and be okay with what was going on. And it makes me think, how often do we sabotage relationships because of fear of rejection, fear of people seeing through the masks that fear will make us wear? For Herod, his life, being so led by fear, that just before his death, fearing that nobody would mourn his loss, that his reign over Israel would have been uh, something that people just was an afterthought or was a period of time they wanted to forget, fearing there'd be no mourning, he rounded up many Jewish leaders of the time, and he had them executed, just so that there would be mourning in Israel when he passed fear. His life was consumed by it. And here is where things begin to intersect. The reign of Herod and the reign of Jesus, they intersect as magi or the wise men from the east follow a star. It says in Matthew 2, 1-2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Fear setting in as he heard those lines. When fear is our driver, there's a persistent simp- uh, symptom in the erosion of peace. King Herod had no peace. And so when he is disturbed by this news, all of Jerusalem feels this quake. And How often do we feel the quake when others respond in fear? When we know that something that they're afraid of, or a condition, or something that's happening, we just know that there's going to be, there's going to be a residual effect that happens when they have to walk that out. How often do others feel the quake from our fear? When we're afraid of something, when we're trying to control the scenario around us, do people feel that there's a tornado that comes through out of nowhere, wreaking havoc on lives as we try to control our specific circumstances? In Herod's case, he is, quote unquote, king of the Jews. But he hears that prophecy that was found in Micah 5 too. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. And here's a guy that's trying to understand his importance, King Herod. And yet, that prophecy comes about. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Fear, as an emotion, is both healthy and God-given. I'm not talking about, you know, standing near the edge of something, you know, a cliff or, or whatever, the near, near the edge of a half-frozen river and going, I need to be careful here. I need to watch what I'm doing. I need to have caution. When you get those butterflies in your stomach, when you're like, I'm, I'm getting too close to something dangerous, that type of emotional fear can be healthy and God-given. But fear as a driver is both unhealthy and actually it's a demonic seduction. You see, fear, as a driver, what it does is it whispers to our hearts a lie. It says we need to control. We need control over a situation, over others. And that the only time we're going to have peace is when we have control of that scenario. It's a deception. Because control, in any of those circumstances, only places us under the thumb of fear. Fear is no longer a driver, but it becomes a god. It becomes a master that we serve. With fear driving, Herod does the unthinkable. In Matthew 2, 16, 25 to 25, we read this. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, And she refused to be consoled, because they are no more. Matthew, in writing that first Christmas story, he wants to contrast these two kings, Herod and Jesus. One is driven by fear and controlling, trying to hold on to what he had. The other is driven by love and surrender trying to give away the most precious gift that he could. One king, he kills to establish his crown. The other will display his kingship through an act of love, dying for the innocent. One, one uses his power over vulnerable children for his own gain. The other gives us a warning. If we're responsible for the harm coming to a child, Our fate is grave. One king's life is guided by the wrong fear, which is ironically a fearlessness of God. King Jesus, though, is guided by the right fear, the fear of the Lord, which brings true freedom. Now, the fear of the Lord, when we say that, it isn't an emotion that we're talking about. It's being so confident in the character of the king that you trust. It's being so confident in God that he is utterly trustworthy. Such a contrast to what kings were known as at that time. When you think of Rome, and you think of Herod and the rulers that Israel would have been familiar with. Think of Jewish shepherds in their field at night. All that they know of kings is hardship, which is why when angels show up, and yes, air, angels are terrifying enough in themselves. If you're out in the, out in the fields right, with uh, sheep and you're just sitting there and a bunch of angels show up on a hill, that can be terrifying enough. But the words that they utter when they come to pronounce something to these Jewish shepherds about King Jesus is this, don't be afraid this is good news. There's a king coming, but you don't have to be afraid. It's not like Caesar in Rome. It's not like King Herod. This is good news for all people. We read that. In Luke 2, 8 to 10, where it said, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. And we talk about drivers, and fear being a driver. What was King Jesus's driver? He was driven only by love. He came to give, not to take life. He paid attention to what? To lepers, to cripples to the blind, to beggars, to prostitutes and fishermen, women and children, and yes, even Pharisees. He was born without dignity, in a manger, in a feed trough. Yet he bestows dignity lavishly on others everywhere he goes. If you were to read Matthew chapter 2, You'll see written multiple times a reminder that Herod the Great is dead. Later in the story, we see as it plays out, there was an angel, right? At the beginning, like we said, that said, Here comes heaven. Here comes this newborn baby, and he's going to be different. And at the end of his life, there's another angel isn't there? And then when the women approach the tomb, they invite us to ask a different question. Not, you know, behold, don't be afraid. Here comes your king. But instead, they ask this, why are you looking for the living among the dead? While Herod, the great's reign, meditant in death, Jesus, the child, the true king of the Jews, the true king of all of us. His reign is alive. This Christmas, because God is with us, there is good news. We do not need to seek life in dead things. We do not need to let fear guide us, grip us, and hold us so tightly. Wherever unholy fear has become your lead, let King Jesus set you free by coming under the fear of the Lord. Now, John, one of Jesus' disciples who had spent so much time with him, he writes it to us as this in 1 John 4:18. He says, There is no fear in love, instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And don't we see that contrast between King Herod and King Jesus? King Herod punishing anybody who would get in his way of having control. And Jesus driving out fear, saying, come all who are weary. Come all who are broken. Come all who are hungry and thirsty. I'll give you rest. I will give you everything you need. Perfect love drives out fear. Unholy fear. It will stop being a driver in our lives when it's replaced by holy fear. Trusting implicitly that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. The heart of King Jesus. The good news is that while it's true, 100%. We are guilty. We have sinned. And we continue to display crooked behavior, trying to cover up our sin and make ourselves look better than we really are. And we've trespassed against God and others. But unlike standing guilty in front of a king like King Herod, we stand before King Jesus. And this king He doesn't act like any other king that's ever been or ever could be. He was the innocent who became guilty. He was the one who knew no sin, who becomes sin for one reason. And that reason is love. So that we might not just be better people. Like in all those Christmas movies I mentioned earlier. Where we learn the true spirit of Christmas and have a happy time together. Jesus didn't come just to warm our hearts and have, let us have a good time and feel good. He came that we might be completely new and completely free in him. This season, lay down your burdens. Lay down your fears. Don't let fear drive you. Don't let fear be a master that controls your actions. Don't let fear create more brokenness. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus is our king. Let's pray. God, we just thank you right now. We take a moment just to pause and reflect on how being afraid of whatever things in our lives, being afraid of being alone, being afraid of brokenness, being afraid of addictions and behaviors that that seem to hound us and chase us, being afraid of our economic situation, being afraid of uh, what's going on around in the world around us. When these things drive us, when they step into the driver's seat in our lives, it leads us to behavior that tries to control all those scenarios, tries to mitigate anything that could go wrong so that we feel at peace. But peace only comes when we let go of that fear. Peace only comes when we have a, a full trust in you, God, that you are in control no matter what, that you are completely trustworthy, that even though our life can, can seem good in one minute and a train wreck in the next and we, we don't know where to turn or how to turn, Turning to you is the only solution. So God, whether we're brand new in our faith, whether today is the first day of really deciding to put faith and trust completely in you, God, or whether we've been walking this journey for a while and fear keeps hounding us, God, we want to turn that fear over to you. We don't want to listen to the lies that fear whispers in our ears and our hearts anymore. But instead, we want to have the fear of the Lord, a trust, a complete trust in you, God. So God, we invite you into this place. We invite you again into our hearts just to, to, to say, do not be afraid. Because there's good news King Jesus is here, and he's on the throne. I pray that he would be on the throne of all of our hearts in this season. That he would be on the throne of all of our hearts as we walk out our lives, as we interact with people, that we be driven and act in love and not in fear. We pray this in your name, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen.